Welcome to the Gather Podcast, and um, today we are going to be talking about Jesus as our bridegroom. So I'm excited to kind of dive into this. I'll be honest, I had never studied that before, this in depth. There are over a hundred verses on Jesus as our bridegroom in the Bible. Actually, the Bible starts with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. Genesis 2, of course, is Adam and Eve becoming married, and Revelations 19 to 21 is the wedding feast. Um, and that is where the bride and the church are married. So if you've never heard this before, get ready. Um, maybe get a piece of paper and a pencil. You can write some notes down. Um, but right now we need to put on our Jewish scholar glasses. And we need to kind of think with ancient, um, ancient minds and see with ancient eyes. Um, when you have been um, looking at the scriptures and maybe have read over Jesus as your bridegroom, you may have just read past it and thought, well, that's a nice metaphor. But these Jewish scholars tell us it's actually much more than a metaphor. And so hopefully you'll enjoy looking through this. So also when you read those verses that are hard for you and you have questions or something doesn't make sense or maybe something makes you sort of upset, something uh, stirs in you and you think that just can't be right, that's when we should lean into those questions because that's when our relationship with God will grow. And that's when our love for the Bible grows. When we find out there's more here than is just surface level and we dig deeper, that is when our understanding of that cultural time period, maybe Jesus's time or the times of the Old Testament, come to life for us. And then the bigger meanings of the Bible um, pop out. And so the biblical historian that I was listening to this weekend was from Notre Dame, and he is a culturalist, um, and he's in charge of understanding antiquities. So that means he's smarter than me, okay? So I just kind of delved in and understood Jewish words that I had never known before. So the Bible is a great divine love story. With over 100 verses on God and Jesus being our bridegroom, that is telling you something about what God wants to say to us about the type of relationship. So when you think of spousal love, of course, we think of love that's pure, a love that's devoted, it's committed, and, um, and that's the love that he wants to portray to us. So Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. Now, the first time we see this is in John 3. And I'm just going to turn there and read it to you really quick. Um, John 3, John the Baptist is actually has a group of disciples. So if you can picture this, all his disciples are coming to him and saying, you know, people are leaving you, John, and they're going to follow this other guy over here. And John is saying, no problem, because I have to ha become less and he has to become more. And he describes himself as the bridegroom's friend. And so when you think about that, when you have a bridegroom's friend, that is the best man, right? And there was a, a, a word for it called shoshobin in Jewish times, and it actually was the person that was the best man. And the shoshobin would be in charge of bringing the wine and um, preparing it, but then the groom would serve the wine. And that's going to be important in a minute when we describe some other passages in Mark 2. So here you have John the Baptist who is telling people about Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming, and he's pointing to the bridegroom coming. And then shortly after that, we see in Mark 2, the first miracle that Jesus does is actually at a wedding. And there's, I've always read over that and thought, why would that be 
the first miracle Jesus would do, I would think he would raise somebody from the dead or he would say, um, heal somebody, that he would show his power over sickness and death. You know, that's basically what I would choose. But no, he chooses to turn water to wine. And what we find is he's actually revealing himself as both the Messiah and the bridegroom. Because John is saying, okay, I'm the bridegroom's friend and I'm gonna point you to the groom. And the truth is I have to become less and he has to become more. And in Mark 2, when Jesus turns that water to wine, the disciples believed immediately, okay? So right then, he was revealing to them, I am capable of doing this, but more so because wine was attached to the wedding feast of the Lord, which was um, in Jewish text, all, not just the Bible, um, but all prophecies about when Jesus came, wine would be flowing, so wine was a very big understanding of when the Messiah would come. And so you have Jesus turning water to wine, and you have the disciples believing that he was the bridegroom and the Messiah. So when we look at the word betrothal, we read um, Hosea last week about how God is going to betroth us to him. We look into that word, it means kedushian, which means consecrate or set apart. So I think in our time, if you hear words in the Bible that are like betrothal, you might think child bride, you might think all kinds of things that aren't so great and you might just keep reading. But when you think about what the actual word means, it means to consecrate, to set apart. And so what God wants from us and with us is this consecrated holy relationship that is set apart and so special. And um, we get a picture of that in Ephesians 5. So throughout scripture, from the beginning to the end, it's all one story of this love, this pursuing love that God has for us. So when you look at Ephesians, and if you can't find Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, just think girls eat potato chips, okay? <laughs> just a little help there, because those epistles are hard to separate. So girls eat potato chips. Galatians, Ephesians, <laughs> Colossians, Yes. All right. All right. So Ephesians 5. So we jump in there and we read this. It says, <clears throat> wives, love your or husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, holy and blameless. It's amazing. And it says it's a mega mystery, a musterion mega, which is amazing. Um, so this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So these are scriptures that we run to all the time. If you've gone to a wedding, you've heard Ephesians 5, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. But we maybe really focus on how to have better marriages. And we're not focusing on the mystery of the marriage between Jesus and the church, between Jesus and us, and what he wants from that. And we sometimes lessen this, and we think metaphorically. So we think, hmm, I guess that this relationship that Jesus wants to have with us is a metaphor. But really what this Jewish historian told me is so important. He said, no, actually the real bridegroom 
the real heavenly father is our father, right? God is our father. Jesus is our bridegroom. They are the real father, the real bridegroom. And to a greater or lesser extent, the analogy is our fathers, our husbands are performing the task of pointing us to God and some do better and some do worse, right? So when you look at that and you say, wait, the real bridegroom, the real father is your father in heaven. The real husband that we have is Jesus. We can say, wow, that actually helps to heal my heart a little bit. This longing I have for a father and a husband here. And sometimes the things that maybe are far from perfect and the things that we can celebrate, like that does remind me of Jesus or my heavenly father. But then other times where there's still that um, ache for something more. C.S. Lewis says it this way, when we have an ache in our heart for something more, it points us to God. It means that this isn't heaven, that this is only a picture or a reflection of the real world that we're going to experience when we're in heaven. So if you think that way, then maybe you'll read Ephesians 5 a little differently. Like, what is this mystery that God wants to portray in an earthly marriage? Um, and why wouldn't the enemy attack so vehemently this picture of what God has created to point to him, right? So our marriages aren't to be idols or to be lifted up as somehow they're ever going to be perfect, but it's only to be a sign of this sacrificial love that Jesus has for us, right? So what does it say? It says, husbands, lay down your life as Jesus did for the church. So this is pointing to that sacrificial cross-like love that we're to have both for each other, husbands for wives and wives for, for their husbands. Um, but really, we, we see that actually the only way that we can see the perfect picture of that is what Jesus does for us. So interestingly enough, in a Jewish wedding, the wife does not give a ring to her husband. The husband only gives a ring to his wife under the cupola, which is where the betrothal takes place and this consecration. It really is the picture of the groom laying down his life and his wealth to her and creating this circling around them, this protection. And the picture is that God is circling them and blessing them and, and consecrating it. And so there's three present. It's the woman, the man, and, and God and making, making them one. So our invitation into this Musterion Mega, this mega mystery, is an invitation to have an intimate, more than enough, pure, consecrated, set-apart relationship with Jesus. And the good news is he does all the work for us, right? John 3, 16 and 17. It's not like we have to clean ourselves up and be a perfect bride. He presents us to himself perfected because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that is the good news. And so, um, and you hear Paul later on in 2 Corinthians when the Corinthians that they come to know Jesus as their savior, as their bridegroom, um, he says this, he says, I care about you so much. This is the passion of God burning inside me. I promised your hand in marriage to Christ, present you as pure to your husband. So what had happened is people had come in and they were trying to teach the Corinthians that they could do whatever they wanted to. They could live however they wanted to. And because of Jesus's great love, there was grace and it, they could just be forgiven. So they could live on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then all the way back to Sunday again, just say, I'm sorry. And then it would be fine. 
you know? And it was kind of like this cheap grace that they were be given. And Paul, Paul is saying, no, I, I actually, you need to know about God's love for you for sure. And grace is definitely sufficient for so many things. But he wants to have this special set-apart love for you, and he wants you to pursue him. So if you're pursuing all these other things, these idols, these things that are less than, whatever you worship, whatever you adore, right, that is what you will become like. So as you worship him in spirit and truth, as you seek him, as you pursue this intimate, close relationship with Jesus, you will become actually more like him. So now we get to Revelations, right? And what uh, uh, a crazy book of the Bible. For most of you, you may not have even read Revelations before, or maybe just recently because everything's going on. Maybe you've been reading it and kind of scratching your head. This is apocalyptic literature. And apocalypse means unveiling. That's what's really interesting. And when you think about a wedding, what do you have? You have a bride with a veil. So this apocalypse is this unveiling of the real world that we will be in, which is heaven. So um, when you read in Revelations 19, 6 to 9, it says this. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of a rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting. Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And so then in Revelations 21, it says this, And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, and, he, and prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So you have this bride who is a temple, who is a city, um, who is a holy people. And God is the one who makes us holy through Jesus' sacrifice. And so when you see this this imagery, um, it is important to think that God wants that type of love with you, that spousal, spousal love. And so let me pray for you, and then we'll talk a little bit about the tools for this week. Father, thank you so much that you gave um, us your word, that we could learn more about who you are. Thank you that you give us physical representations on this earth to point us to you. Help us to know that you are truly our true bridegroom, that when we look at everything that we hoped for in marriage, um, that those hopes and dreams are fulfilled in you. And when we look to our marriages, help us to remember the sacrificial love that you have for us and to walk in that love, that true love. You say that we worship you in spirit and truth, Lord. Help us to do that. Help us to um, just seek you, seek your truth, and thank you for your word that you give us um, to help us to have the food, the sustenance to get through each day and to be excited for what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to share a few tools with you guys. Um, I think I've shared about journaling uh, a little bit. Uh, journaling isn't something I've been great at doing through the years. I'll journal when God teaches me something really big or um, I learn a new idea that I really want to capture, but I don't journal every day. But more recently, I've really decided to write out my prayers, and that's been useful to me and also I think will be special for my kids one day when they grow up and they get to have, have those for themselves. This is probably the prettiest book I've seen in my whole life, and I'm super excited about it. It's called Growth Book Notes, and it's from um, Growth Roots Company. So if you're interested, and this is the book that actually goes with this. 
and there's little notes on um, adoration, but I love the dots. I'm not sure if you can see them, but it just leaves a very blank page for you to write your notes. You can, can do a picture if you want. I sometimes write out prayers in circles, and then a person's name is in a circle and all the things I'm praying for them because I'm very visual. In the back, it has places for all the books that you've read, which I am a book lover, so I can write down all the books and then uh, reading whatever I've read in the, in the Bible, but then also my other books that I would write down. So I just got this in the mail, so I will share with you guys. So um, I highly recommend a journal. That will help you with your studies. And then, oh, I was going to read to you, Joe and I's wedding vows are on our wall, and the one verse, um, or the one vow at the end says this, and I thought it was important to go with the bridegroom teaching. It says, um, and I will work with you to make our marriage a joy. I will walk closely with our Lord so that you can trust me at all times. And I think that was probably one of my favorite wedding vows for us is that we would both walk closely with the Lord so that we could trust one another. And um, I think that that is where our love flows from, is from our love for God. And that keeps it strong even when we're mad at each other. And so that's a good thing. Okay, so a couple other things. Ashley came last week, and we had a great time hearing from her. And we talked a lot about calling out our children's identity and telling them what their identity is in Christ and building up a kingdom identity. And so we want to give you a few tools to do that. First of all, our Next Gen team gave you a great tool in October. If you're from Faith, you got this. If you are not, please let us know. We'd love to get you one. Um, but this is a coloring book, and in it, there are all these sweet little understandings of who you are. I am unique. Um, I am free from comparing myself to others. And each day is just a little affirmation about who God made you. I am God's very good idea. Remember, Ashley said one of her kids has that in, on, their, on their wall in their bedroom. So, And then there's these little cards that you can write out for your kiddos. And I think Post-it notes work great, great for this. So we always wrote Post-it notes and put it all over their doors about who they were and what they were blessed with. All right, and then the other book I gave to Ashley that I'm going to recommend this week, which is by Sally Clarkson, and um, it's a great book. So if you want to take a look at that one for your kids too. And then the last thing for today is we have a gala coming up. It's called All Things New, and our speaker is Vivian Mubani, and this year our gala will be virtual. So in the description, I will include a little bit about our gala, and if you want to come or actually come online, it's virtual. Some people are going to gather in their homes and celebrate it together. It is a great chance to reach out to a friend maybe that doesn't know Jesus and invite them to participate in this gala. Um, cozy up, get a cup of tea, and enjoy um, this testimony from Vivian Mubani, who is a cancer survivor. So I hope you enjoy that, and we will see you next week with another interview.